when it comes to heating up your business, it's all about making more bacon. And that requires an expert with a particular set of skills. You need a Baconologist. Building authentic connections, online networking, through social selling, relationship marketing, mindset and training. Yeah, that's bacon. Get ready, because we're about to fry up a sizzling success strategy. This is the Bacon Podcast. Basilico. It's a lot of bees, man. Welcome, everybody. I'm your host, Brian Basilico, and this is the podcast where you learn to make your business sizzle online. So are you ready to fry up some new business? Hey, peeps. I am uber excited. I have an incredible guest. You've probably heard him before if you're a fan of the Bacon Podcast. His name is Mr. Mark S.A. Smith. And he's already exceeded the 25 club in appearances. Uh, That's a a quarter of a century if it was years. In dog years, I think, I don't know what that equates to. But uh, speaking of dogging it, you are out and about in a trailer next to a beaut of a view, right? That I am. I'm enjoying my nomadic lifestyle And I am parked by Factory Butte, this absolutely amazing uh, edifice that stands in the the south, uh, middle south of Utah. And uh, I'm surrounded by absolutely nothing. The ground looks like the surface of the moon. And it's uh, just all silty, all washed off this big Butte area. And this is absolutely a dream come true to sit here with coffee and look at this magnificent Butte and feel the awe of creation and mother nature and that's why i'm doing this that's amazing so for you know one of the reasons i like having you on the show is because you always bring the goods you always teach people things and so i want to learn why do they call a mountain in the middle of a desert a butte well it actually has to do with its formation and a butte is something that usually has a flat top and then a and then a cliff, a sudden cliff off the edge. And um, there's lots of buttes in this part of the planet because of the erosion patterns. The uh, incurring sea and the receding sea left buttes because they were they essentially created these shorelines. And there's lots and lots of layers that allow the buttes to be eroded at various speeds since each one of the layers has a different hardness and resistance to wind and water. So that... That's where it came from. I mean, what, what, why do we call our nose a nose? Why do we call a butte a butte? Hmm. Well, I've seen some people, you know, Jimmy Durante had a butte of a nose. He did really good. <laughs> I love big buttes and I cannot lie. <laughs> but we are not here to talk about buttes or noses. We're here to talk about purpose, not porpoise, purpose. So we're going to be talking about the purpose economy. And I find the purpose economy or just generally purpose in business has changed in the last handful of years. I think that more than anything else, the the economy itself, the pandemic, I mean, all the things that have happened recently in our world have really made people stand back and say, what am I doing and why am I doing it? Is that right? Absolutely true. Now, we've talked about the purpose economy under the name the uh, the transformational economy, which is still what it's being called. In fact, uh, Pine, who wrote the book, uh, The Experience Economy, is now writing a book on the transformation economy. Hmm. So, you know, we're we're a little ahead of that uh, that curve. And uh, interesting, my fellow authors are having conversations with him about that book, because we want to be part of the edge of that at Nobility Works. So, the purpose economy 
has really accelerated because of the worldwide pandemic, where everything that we held dear was completely disrupted. Whether that was your favorite entertainment of going to see concerts and movies, or going to bars with your friends and watching the game, or going to your favorite restaurant, or going to your favorite museum. Essentially what happened is that we were completely divorced from our regular work and play and turned into something completely different where all of our interactions was via video, Zoom, and, and, uh, and things like that. We didn't get on airplanes. And anytime that you have a disruption, a massive disruption of your life and those things that bring you joy, you start to question your purpose. What is my purpose? It obviously isn't the things that I thought they, it was. One of the things that I've seen, especially now that things have kind of opened up again, is cautiously people are getting back into face-to-face -face stuff. But I think the thing that I'm seeing is people are a lot more in about who they're spending time with. And I think that relationships as a currency has become more valued. Would you agree with that? That certainly has been my experience. I spent, have spent a lot less time with people who uh, are not interested in meaningful conversations and way more time with people who are willing to explore ideas that perhaps in the past we would never have gone to that topic. And what I mean by that is you know, philosophical questions and meaning of life questions and spirituality questions. I mean, you and I, it, through the pandemic, started uh, conversations about spirituality where prior to the pandemic, we never talked about that. True. What is it that you've seen this do to business that you think is different than what you've seen before? What I see is that businesses that do not have an explicit purpose of serving the customer, serving the employee, serving the community are failing. They are falling apart. Their purpose is to make money. That is no longer a viable business model. Money is a byproduct of transformational service. It is a meaningful service, purposeful service. It in itself is not the result. And I can give you some current examples. Disney. Disney has lost their North Star and their stock has completely crashed because of it. Uh, Netflix. They lost their North, North Star and their purpose became out of alignment with the purpose of the bulk of their viewers. And their viewers are saying, no, we are not going there. We are not supporting that programming. And we can take a look at other companies that are suffering because their purpose is out of alignment with the purpose of their customers. This gets even more extreme as we have products that are being driven by uh, Gen Z and Gen Alpha who are completely aligned with purpose. They completely reject, reject uh, psychopathic capitalism where businesses make money with zero regard for the environment, uh, for culture, and they say, no, we are not buying from these companies. And of course, the companies are imploding because of the, the narrow margins they work at now. You know, you reduce your customer uh, 
by your, the number of customers by 15 or 20 percent, you're done because you don't have enough margin to handle that kind of shrinkage when you have a when you have a fixed uh, cost model. So that's what we're starting to see is that shift where other companies that are much more purpose driven. Um, have, have done extremely well. You know, an, an example of that is Hydroflask. Probably everybody listening knows what Hydroflask is or has a Hydroflask. And that was a product that came out of the mind of Travis, Travis Rossback, who's a friend of mine. And he had the idea to hydrate the world. But we needed something different. We, he needed to have something that was that was solid. It could take being dropped and kicked around and roll around on the floor of your car. And it could keep cold beverages cold and hot beverages hot, but you didn't have to baby it like a thermos. And Travis, airline pilot, you know, he, air, he, he, flied, he flew charters. He was, a, he was a boat captain. I mean, he... <laughs> <laughs> but he figured it out because he had a purpose, and um, he ended up building up Hydroflask and selling it for two hundred million dollars. Nice. And of course, Hydroflask is now out of his control, but they still continue on with his same purpose and using that same technology. So that I think that's a great example of a product that people know that was driven by purpose. Tra Travis is a, a purpose-driven man. He's extraordinary. And that that's essentially. You know, I think one of the things when you talk about purpose is you're designing something that has the end user success in mind, right? It's not to get them there. There are certain kind of products, certain kind of things that us as human beings, we've gotten into this consumable mode, right? You know, where we're consuming stuff. We, you know, the Amazon. Let's put it this way. Amazon during the pandemic was a lifeline. Amazon now is kind of like, eh, you know, do I really need that? Do I really need to purchase all this extra stuff? Especially since we're downsizing, you know, and we're, we're moving from one house to another house. I think that uh, the purpose side of things is really looking at the end user and saying, how can I help them to make the world a better place. Would you agree with that? Or what is what is a purpose? What is the definition that we're looking at so we understand what a purpose-driven business and economy is? Uh, my favorite definition is one that was given to me by uh, my colleague, Mark DeMassimo, who's the founder, CEO, and uh, chief creative officer for Digo Brands, who's an agency out of, out of uh, Manhattan. And you have seen ads on TV from their brands. You mm -hmm. know, if you've seen a Weight Watchers ad, that's them. If you've seen a SodaStream ad, that, that's them. Uh, plus many, many others. And uh, Samsung, if you've seen a, 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 an ad for Samsung phone, that's them. And he said the, the purpose-driven, the transformational-driven economy is about make me better. Make, uh, make, I'm sorry, make it better, meaning the product, the service. Make it better. Make mm -hmm. me better. Make us better. The purpose-driven economy is not just about the product or the individual. It's also about the community. And we have to have that full balance of the three for this to really be a true purpose. Otherwise, we have partial purchase purpose, 
which then becomes manipulative. Because if I say that I'm a socially responsible company because I use cage-free eggs and then pollute the planet, that's not going to fly. <laughs> so we know that chickens don't fly, so that's going to be kind of the deal anyways. But I, I love the concept of, you know, make the product better, make me better, make the world better, right? And yeah. I think that... We've been in this mode of make a better product, right? You know, it, it's the iPhone was a better flip phone because it had a screen. And, and you know, then it hits its kind of like peak. And it's like now every phone does the same thing. You know, how do you make something that everybody is using better, but how do you make the world better? And, you know, it should make you better. And I think one of the things, again, I go back to this purpose you know, purpose to me, if you're saying the world, the product, and me, it's about people, right? It's about how can I, as a brand, how can I, as a company, have a better, more cohesive relationship with the people that are purchasing my products? And, and the reason this is such a hot button for me is because we've really gotten into the value of people's time versus money, right? So when you dial up a bank, what do you do? You go through this, you know, litany of press one, press two, press five, press three, right? They do everything they can not to have you talk to a human being because it costs them more money. But if you picked up the phone and you called and somebody said, hey, it's Jim, how can I help you, right? You'd be shocked, right? <laughs> How do we get back to that, or is that where we're headed? Well, I think that the way that some companies are handling this is based on status. So if United, with United, I have almost 2 million miles with United, and so I have some status with those guys. I've spent a lot of money with them. And when I call, they recognize my phone number, and I get routed to a human right away. And so if I call from a number that, recognize I have to go through the voice tree and I think that's that's an interim strategy is where you you treat your best customers with a high degree of customer service and ultimately if you're going to want to move your new customers to best customer status you're going to have to treat them the same way but that requires a certain transition of, of operations and business to make that happen and what we're going to spend on that, what we have to do is watch, watch what the, uh, the bean counters tell us. Because bean counters are all about the figures. How can I reduce costs? And we have to balance that with, does that cost reduction reduce the relationship with my customer? Because there are places where we can cut costs, such as increasing efficiencies by doing simplification or automation. There's other places where cutting costs cut relationship, and that is just not a good idea. So you have to have a balance between somebody who says, here's how we can cut cost, with a person who says, that's not a cost, that's an investment. That enhances our relationship with our customer. Therefore, that is never going to be called a cost ever again. Do not put that in the cost category. Put that into the investment category. Because all marketing is investment. All marketing is an investment in the relationship with a customer in the future who is going to fund your business in the future. And if you call marketing a cost, you don't understand business. And you need to stop what you're doing and understand business. Um, what it, 
the, the, the funds that it takes to produce your product is a cost. <laughs> Forced is not a cost. You know, cost per order dollar is a fallacy. Cost to acquire a customer. And it's actually the investment to acquire a customer. That's really the way you need to look at all customer acquisition. Customer acquisition is 100% investment, not cost. I thoroughly agree with you. And I think I the way I've started to look at this is through a buyer's journey, right? And, and I look at there are five steps in a buyer's journey. There are many different people who define it differently. But I always say there are three steps that are the marketing part. There are two steps that are the sales part. Everything in marketing is 100% dedicated to getting to those last two. And the first one is awareness. Do, you know, what do you sell? Absolutely. You know, do you sell it? What do you do? Second one is education or information or whatever you want to call it. But the bottom line is, yes, we sell this. And by the way, here's what we know about it and how it's going to help you and how it's going to help the company, the environment, whatever it's going to be. And here's the differentiators and here's what you need to know before ever making a decision to buy anybody's product, right? We don't care if you buy ours. We just want you to be educated. And then the last piece of that is what I call the pre-sales. And what the pre-sales is, is where you start talking about the competitive differences, right? So yes, all of these products are good, but you know, if you lean more towards this particular outcome or this particular result or whatever it is, here's one of the things that makes us better or different. The whole goal of that is to, especially in the B2B world, is get people to talk to a human being, right? Now that's, that's where you right. hand it off to the sales, right? Now sales, that's next phase where they onboard somebody. So sales has to kind of jump into the marketing side and be available to answer questions and then kind of guide them across the barrier, right? And get them right. to that purchase. And once they get to that purchase, then it becomes sales, the salespersons, the sales teams, the sales systems objective to retain and, and replicate sales with that person because they become an advocate. And I think that whole journey, that buyer's journey, is really about the investment in the relationship, more so the investment in the customer. Does that make sense? Absolutely true. Um, I have a couple of comments here to augment what you're saying. Um, the three steps, um, you add a step that a lot of marketing people ignore. You know, they use the traditional AIDA, interest, uh, awareness, interest, desire, action. Mm -hmm. And the desire is what pushes them into the sales role and, and action is how to, is how we create the transaction. And then you've inserted another step in between there, which is education. Mm -hmm. And if you're selling a dis disruptive product, which is a non-commodity that people don't know, can help them make a, a desired outcome occur faster, less expensively, more joyfully. Mm -hmm. And when you're working with disruptive technology like that, we have to teach them about how to buy what we sell. Because mm -hmm. they don't have any ability to judge criteria. They don't know how to, to tell what's good and what's bad. Right. And until they feel comfortable and confident they can judge criteria, they're not going to move, especially in business to business, because poor buying decisions is a career killer. Yes. So we have to teach them how to buy what we sell, and we also have to teach them how to communicate the value up there 
management chain at least two levels. Well, and I always say it's usually six levels. It's up to, down to, and someone in between. (laughs) 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 Right? (laughs) Because there's always somebody who's going to interject themselves into the process. So up two levels, down two levels, and somebody's going to come in and put a wrench in the monkey. Well, that's true. Well, well, yeah, because there's usually a financial buyer who's going to decide is that how is this going to impact cash flow? There's mm-hmm. a there's a technical buyer that says, okay, how do we have to, how are we going to support this thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, we we have users that say, how am I going to use this thing? How is this going to change my process for working? Um, then we have an infrastructure buyer if it's something that impacts the infrastructure, who's going to say, okay, what power, what cooling, what water, what floor space right. does this need? And then we move up the chain, and the executive says, how is this going to help me achieve more profit and growth? Right. That kind of lays it out in a nice nutshell. So since we're wrapping this up, let's wrap it up in one final way. The why. Why does the purpose economy matter? What's important for people to say, you know what, I need to look at this a little deeper? Because the purpose brings the why to the forefront. Why is described by purpose. Purpose asks the question, why? Dude, that's deep. I agree. So the key question is for everybody is you have to look at the why for you you have to look at the why for your audience right and 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 align them exactly that's where i was headed i was trying to align it but you aligned me first (laughs) (laughs) as long as i'm not maligning i think we're probably all right no you were not maligning well my friend again this has been just incredible. Some sizzling hot bacon knowledge bombs for my peeps. <laughs> and if people want to get a hold of the rambling, traveling, butte dude, um, how do they get a hold of Mr. Mark S.A. Smith? There's two ways. Go to LinkedIn. Mark's on LinkedIn.com, M-A-R-K-S on LinkedIn.com. That'll take you directly to my profile. There's a lot of Mark Smiths on the planet. I'm Mark S.A. Smith. And uh, say, I saw you, I heard you on the Bacon Podcast. Let's connect and we'll do that. The second way is if you have a blood spurting issue that you think I might be able to solve for you, let's have a conversation. And you can reach me at 719-440-4039. Excellent. Well, thank you for coming on again. And uh, I so look forward to our next conversation. Thanks, bud. Likewise, my friend, I appreciate you. Thank you for letting us sprinkle some bacon bits into your brains. Want some more? Learn more about this podcast and our guest experts at baconpodcast.com. Have questions? Send them to askbrian at baconpodcast.com. Until next time, keep sizzling. And remember, it's all about the bacon.